All right. Um, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35. And I'm going to read to you starting in verse 10. And when we finish today, we're, we're going to kind of leave Jacob now. We're going to be, we've spent a lot of time looking at the life of Jacob. Uh, lots and lots of types and shadows of Christ throughout Jacob's life that are just amazing. And um, so we're going to talk about the grace of God. And specifically, I have a question are you Israel or are you Edom? So we're going to talk about Israel and Edom today, and we're going to talk about the grace of God in relation to those two names and what they imply. So let's begin in verse 10. In Genesis 35, verse 10, it says, And God said to him, that is to Jacob, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now, that's not the first time this has happened. You remember back when Jacob wrestles with God, when he comes back, he's been with his uncle. Remember, he fled from Esau. And he spends 20 years away from his home, and he comes back, and before he crosses the Jordan at the brook, uh, that's a tributary to the Jordan there, Jacob encounters God and he wrestles with God. And in that encounter with God, that's when God first tells Jacob, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but you are Israel. And depending on which Bible you have, Israel is translated, he who wrestles with God. But I really like the uh, King James translation. The King James translators don't just tell us that Israel means one who wrestles with God. But there is an implication. If you go back into the Hebrew and you look at all of the roots of this word, the implication, it's not just one that wrestles with God, but it's one who rules with God. Now, we know that Jacob didn't prevail against God because Jacob was a stronger man than the Lord. That's not it. Jacob was able to prevail, if we can use that word, against the Lord because God in his grace allowed him to. God came to him, God encountered him, and God allowed Jacob to have an encounter. And in that encounter, in that very graceful encounter, God changes his name. Now, God is reminding Jacob that your name is Israel. No longer shall you be called Jacob. But your name is Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed, proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you. I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So this wasn't a dream or a vision. God went up from him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. 
And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, Ephrath is the ancient name of the city that we know as Bethlehem, the birthplace of our Savior. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni. That is, but his father called his name Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paden Aram. Then Jacob came to his father's Isaac at Mamre, in or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, so Isaac breathed his last and died and gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now I want to read to you the very first verse of chapter 36, and we're going to stop there because I'm not going to read all of the genealogy. Chapter 36, verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. So we have Jacob, who is Israel, and we have Esau, who is Edom. Verse, how did, how did, how did Esau come to be called Edom. Well, if we go back to chapter 25 in Genesis, turn back there with me and I'll, I'll show you when this happened. Chapter 25 in Genesis records for us the birth of Esau and Jacob. They were twins. And Esau was the older, Jacob was the younger. So Esau was birthed first. And in verse Uh, 23 of Genesis 25, it says, And the Lord said to her, Rebecca is going, What's happening inside of me? There's a struggle. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so when her days were fulfilled, she gave birth indeed, and there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which means supplanter or heel grabber. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore. So these boys grew up, and it says that Jacob was a mild-mannered man dwelling in tents, and Esau was a hunter, a skillful hunter. And one day, Jacob cooked a stew of uh, red lentils, and Esau came in from the field, and the Bible says he was weary. Verse 30, 
says, And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. Verse 31, But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. I want you to see the last verse of chapter 25. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So this is the story of these two brothers. Now we've come to the end of Isaac's life, and Jacob has come back to the promised land from living with his uncle, and there he gained his two wives and his 12 sons. So what we see in this story, and what, what I want to talk mostly about, but I want to point out a couple of things here uh, before we start talking in depth about the grace of God revealed to us in Jacob and Esau. I want to draw your attention to some things that the Scripture puts in these verses that I believe we should pay attention to because they they are pictures of Christ. So remember, when you read the Bible, read the Bible with eyes that are looking for Christ. How does the Scripture reveal Christ to us? So I want, I want to draw your attention to verse 14. Genesis 35, 14, so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone. It's interesting when you see the law, when you see God tell Moses and he tells the Israelites to make pillars or to build these things, especially the altar. The altar was not to be chiseled with the tools of men. The altar was to be untouched, unchiseled. It was a natural stone, if we could say that. It wasn't formed by men hammering it. It was this natural stone not to be touched, not to have the hand of man, so it wasn't made by man. That speaks of something very important. That speaks of the same stone that Nebuchadnezzar saw being cut out of a mountain without hands, and this stone came and it crashed into this beast that he saw, and the stone grew and grew and grew, and it filled the whole earth, and it became the kingdom of God. Who, who is that stone? That stone is Jesus. So Jacob sets up a pillar of stone, and he pours a drink offering on it. He pours a drink offering. He pours water or the fruit of the vine, and he pours oil. It's symbolic of the blood and the spirit. The pillar is symbolic of Christ. Where does he do this? He does this at Bethel. He does this at the house of God. He does this in a place where God appeared to him. Remember the first time he was there, he saw angels ascending and descending. He said, this must be the house of God. Now God has appeared to him and God reminds him, your name is not Jacob. Your name is Israel. In other words, you have a new name. You have a new identity. You are a new man. You are to walk in that newness, not in the old. That's the same thing the Bible tells us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have a new identity. We have a new name. We have a new life. So we see this typified. We see this pictured here with Jacob. 
We go down to verse 18, and I love this, not because I have a grandson named Benjamin, but I want you to see Christ here. Here is Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, and she dies in childbirth. And she dies giving birth to Jacob's last son. And she names him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob calls him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Do you see the picture of Christ there? Do you see the dual picture that Christ is? One acquainted with our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. He goes to the cross. He laments. He sweats. Great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. He takes upon himself all the sin of the world. All the sorrow of the world. All of our pain. All of our suffering. He takes that. He takes the full measure of God's wrath. He was the son of sorrow. But yet at the very same time. He is the son of of God's right hand. He is the son of God's power and authority. That's what the right hand represented. The right hand represented the strength and the power and the authority. This is the hand of the Lord. When the Bible says, when Isaiah writes, your hand is not short that it cannot save. He's talking about the right hand of the Lord that is powerful and mighty to save. This is who Jesus is. He is the son of of the right hand. He is the hand of God's strength and power and might. And what does he do? He stretches out and he saves a people for God. So Jacob takes this son of sorrow and he calls him the son of my right hand. And he was being prophetic and did not even realize it because God paints for us these pictures throughout the pages of scripture for us to see and for us to understand that the gospel message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and him coming into the world and saving a people for God does not begin in Matthew 1.1. It began at Genesis 1.1 when God spoke light into the darkness. Who is Christ? He is the light. So let's talk about the grace of God revealed to us in Jacob and in Esau. So this question, are you Israel or are you Edom, has nothing to do with your ancestry. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has everything to do with your faith and your heart. So Israel and Edom are the contrasting pictures of faith and unbelief, of trust in God and trust in someone or something other than God. It is the contrast of saving grace and common grace. Before we cast stones at Esau, let's remember that we are all Esau apart from the grace of God. Jesus taught of God's grace when he said in Matthew 5.45, these are the words of Jesus, he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. So the wicked, evil farmer has the grace of God's Son shining on his crops to cause them to grow and be fruitful. And the wicked, evil farmer has his, God's grace, pouring out rain on his crops to cause them to grow and become fruitful. It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the wicked 
and the good. This is the grace of God. The difference is we know and appreciate God's grace because we've come to know him. Those who don't know are benefactors of God's grace and they don't even realize it. So we see this. We, can't, we don't have time to go into all this today, but this is exactly what Paul talks about in the first chapter of Romans when he says, hey, it's not that they don't know. His inv- invisible attributes are clearly seen. God is, is all over the place. He's, his evidence and his gospel and his reality is clearly seen in the invisible attributes. It's seen in the sun. It's seen in the rain. It's seen in the crops that grow. It's seen, it's seen in everything that has been poured out as His grace in our lives. So God opened. Here's the difference. The sun and the rain are common grace that fall on all who come into the world, but God does not deal with all the same. So all experience God's common grace, but God doesn't deal with everybody the same. How do we know that? Because we see this in Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau came from the same mother, the same father. They were twins birthed out of the same womb, but God dealt very differently with Jacob than he did with Esau. God did not deal with Jacob and Esau the same, but God's common grace was upon both of them. But God came to Jacob, but he did not come to Esau. You realize this, read, we've we've gone through this in depth. Jacob didn't go to God, God came to Jacob. Jacob was running away from trouble, and God came to him. God opened Jacob's eyes to see his glory. God gave Jacob an encounter that changed Jacob into Israel. God appeared to Jacob and was changed. Jacob was changed and was never the same again. It said that from that day, from that morning, that early morning encounter, the Bible tells us that Jacob limped across the Jabbok and ultimately went over Jordan and into the promised land, but he went with a limp that he did not have before because God marked Jacob. Jacob became a marked man, marked by God. So God marked Jacob and he marked Esau in different ways to different ends. God left Esau to himself and let Esau have what Esau wanted. Esau became Edom, and he became a great and powerful nation. Let's, let, me, let me take you back. Let's see. And let's look at this. Let's go back to Genesis 27. Now, remember the story where Jacob, Isaac is, um, Isaac is going to bless Esau. And he tells Esau, he says, I'm going to bless you, but before I bless you, I want you to go and hunt some game and come back and prepare my favorite meal. And after we've eaten, then I'm going to bless you. And Isaac's wife, Jacob's mother, Rebekah, hears what Isaac is planning. And when Esau leaves, she tells Jacob, quit, 
go slaughter a goat, bring it back in. You're going to get the blessing. Dress up in your brother's clothes. I'll prepare the food, and you're going to get the blessing that your father wants to give to Esau. Remember we said this was a picture of how Jacob came to his father, clothed in, in another's clothes, with the fragrance of another, with the identity of another, receiving the blessing that he did not deserve. And we see that's a picture of exactly how we come to the Father. We come to the Father in another's identity, clothed with another, with the fragrance of another, and we receive the blessing of the Father that we do not deserve because we come to the Father in another's identity. Now, we want to look at that as a picture of don't be, deception, don't be deceptive, but the, what we should really be seeing there is the grace of God. This is a picture of how we come to the Father in Christ. And so this is the story. Jacob does this. He receives the blessing that wasn't rightfully his to receive because he came in the identity of another. He receives the blessing. Esau comes back, and guess what? Esau's not a happy camper. He's mad. Jacob flees for his very life from his father's house. And who does Jacob encounter on the way? He encounters God. God comes to him. God encounters Jacob and gives to Jacob this promise. Don't fear. Don't worry. You're going to come back to your father's house. You're going to receive the inheritance of your grandfather, Abraham, of your father, Isaac. The promise is yours. And it's to your children and to those who will come after them. So this is the context. And so here is Jacob now. He's come back. And we see this contrast. Jacob is Israel. Esau is Edom. Remember, he was Edom because he sold the birthright. He took the red lentil stew in exchange for his birthright. He threatens his brother's life and his brother flees and Esau remains there and gets really everything he thinks. Well, he gets what he wants. His brother's gone. He's there. And we see this picture when Jacob comes back. Esau comes with 400 mighty men with all of these possessions. He obviously has become a great nation. Now, let's go back. Let me read to you one other thing. So, Esau comes to his father and he says, Father, verse, look, at, look at Genesis 25, verse 38. He says to his father, Esau says to Isaac, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth. Or some translations say, away from the fatness of the earth. Either way you look at it, this is, this is not a good blessing. This is not the blessing you and I want. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. You shall come, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. And it goes on and it tells us, and we see this throughout Scripture, that Esau becomes this great nation. Esau becomes a great nation even before Israel did. Esau had kings ruling Edom, 
Edom became this nation that had kings ruling before Israel had a king to rule them. And so in a sense, we, it's not that Esau wasn't blessed. He was blessed. God blessed him. God raised him up and made him a great nation. In a sense, we can say this, that God gave to Esau exactly what he wanted. He became Edom and he became a great and a powerful nation. Contrast God leaving Esau to himself and allowing Esau to become a great and a powerful nation. Contrast that with Jacob. God did not leave Jacob to himself. God gave to Jacob what God wanted for Jacob. God in his grace changed Jacob into Israel. God changed Jacob's heart so that what God desired is what Jacob came to desire. It's what Jacob came to embrace by faith. So this is the grace of God that no man deserves, but is the grace of God that gives to all who are in Christ. God gives this grace not by the merit of any man. You and I don't receive this grace because we deserve it. We receive it based on the merit of one man and only one man, and that is based on the merit of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. So we receive this grace by the merit of Jesus. So let's think about Esau. Let's look at what the Bible tells us about Esau. So it says that he was called Edom because he traded this birthright for this red stew. And then at the end of that, it says that Esau despised his birthright. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 also informs us and teaches us about Esau. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Do you see that root of bitterness that sprung up in Esau because of, of Jacob? When before Jacob and Esau were even born, God told their mother that the older will serve the younger. That didn't happen because Jacob tricked Esau. It happened because God ordained it, that the younger would rule over the older. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. So Esau is called a fornicator and a profane person who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, after what? After he sold his birthright, after Jacob was given the blessing, for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, it's real important. You should underline that in your Bible, that little phrase. He wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected for he found no place or no room for repentance. Though he sought it, he sought repentance diligently with tears. That sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? Esau sought 
repentance diligently with tears, but there was no room, there was no place for repentance. Because Esau sought repentance for the sake of God's blessing, not for the sake of God's glory. That's why that little phrase, he wanted the blessing, was important. He didn't want God, he wanted the blessing of God. The birthright came from God. He despised the birthright and rejected the birthright. And then when he realized what he'd done, when he realized, when he realized and he thought he wasn't going to get as much stuff, he wasn't going to have as much power, he wasn't going to have as much authority as his little brother, he had this epiphany and realized what he had done and he starts crying. And he's diligently seeking repentance because he wanted the blessing, not because he wanted God. Big difference. And so what did God do? Eventually, what happened is Esau got exactly what he wanted. He became wealthy, powerful, great, became a great nation, had a great name. He got everything he wanted. The only problem is he didn't get what he needed. Be careful. Because a lot of times we cry out to God and we want something from God, but what we're asking for, even seeking it diligently with tears, may be what we really want, but it might not be what we really need. And God in his grace made and allowed Esau to become a great nation. He let Esau have what he wanted, but he did not give Esau what he needed. Because what Esau really needed is not what Esau wanted. Esau didn't want God. He wanted the blessing of God. He wanted the name of God. He wanted all of those things so that he could have, not God, but so he could have these things. So there's no doubt that God blessed Esau. God made Edom a great nation before he made Israel a great nation. But the greatness of Edom was in the glory of man and in man's achievements, not in the glory of God. Man can achieve great things. Man can build and establish great and powerful things. My gosh, we just, took a, we just put a GoPro on a satellite and took a picture of Pluto. How long did it take for it to get there? Ten years or something? I mean, that's basically what we did. We strapped a GoPro onto a satellite and flew it by Pluto and took a picture and sent it back to Earth. Don't tell me man can't do great things. Man can. But what man can achieve in himself and for his own glory is nothing compared to God and his glory. And what Esau settled for was the lesser things that he could achieve for himself. As great as it may have looked, as powerful and rich as he may have become, it was nothing compared. And here is Jacob working like a slave for 20 years. And while Jacob is working like a slave, Esau's building a kingdom. He's become a king. And his little brother's working like a slave. And if we're not careful, we'll take a snapshot of these two people. And in that snapshot, someone may ask you the question, who would you rather be, Jacob or Esau? You might look at a snapshot and say, oh, man, I'll, I'll, I want to be Esau. Man, look at him. Powerful nation. 
great wealth, great army. <laughs> Jacob, man, he's working like a slave at his uncle's farm. I mean, that dude's using and abusing him. I don't want to be that. I want to be that. I want to be Esau. But when it's all said and done, now that we look back, we have the, we have the luxury of hindsight. And when we look back in hindsight, it becomes pretty easy, doesn't it? Who do you want to be, Jacob or Esau? Think about Malachi chapter 1. God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Let's just, let's just go there. People don't like these scriptures because they, they're scared of them. The scriptures scare people sometimes. And so what we do when the scripture scares us is we just, we just pretend like, oh, I'm just going to pretend like God didn't say that. I'll just kind of block that out and we'll, we just won't read that scripture because I don't like that one. Malachi, the last prophet who prophesied before John the Baptist. John the Baptist actually was the last prophet of the Old Testament. But in your Old Testament canon, Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament canon. Then there were 400 years of silence, and John the Baptist came prior to the New Covenant. He prepared the way for Jesus. John the Baptist was the last prophet of God under the Old Covenant. Proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. So here is Malachi prophesying this just before the 400 years of silence that would precede John's coming and the coming of Christ in his first incarnation. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? I mean, if, if, if God says I've loved you and you've got to ask God, God, how have you loved us? As if, really? I wouldn't have ever known it. You know there's a problem there. You have to ask God how he, God, how have you loved me? There's a problem if you've asked God that question. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. And laid waste his mountain and his heritage. Well, I shouldn't stop there because that may be more confusing for you. So let's go to Romans chapter 9. The book of Romans is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. And if I could sum up the book of Romans... In just a very short sentence, it would be this. The book of Romans reveals to us that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It is by grace through faith that we are justified and saved. And so we get to Romans chapter 9, and the subject has not changed. Paul hasn't switched subjects on us here. He's still talking about the grace of God. He's still talking about faith and grace and what God has done. Let's begin in Romans chapter 9. Let's begin up in, um, oh gosh, so hard. Let me just begin in uh, verse 1. 
I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, he's talking about ethnic Israel here. He's talking about ethnic Jews. He said, if I could be accursed on their, for their sake, I would do that. Who are Israelites? These countrymen who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Well, God, the word of God works on the Gentiles, but now it doesn't work on Israel. Paul says, no, it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. In other words, Paul says, they're my countrymen in the flesh, but just because they're my countrymen in the flesh doesn't mean they're Israel. They're not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Not Ishmael. The Jews understood the contrast there. In Isaac, your seed. That's what God told Abraham. No, Abraham, it's not Ishmael. It's in Isaac that your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And then in verse 10, he says, and not only that, but not only this, but when Rebekah, Isaac's wife, also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Esau shall serve Jacob. It's not that Esau did anything wrong. This was ordained before they came out of the womb. This is not about good and evil. This is not about Esau was a bad boy and Jacob was a good boy. And so Jacob got the gift and Esau didn't. That's not what this is about. Paul tells us exactly what this is about. This is about the grace of God. Esau got what he deserved. Jacob didn't. Why? The difference? The grace of God. See, the question should never be, why did God uh, hate Esau? The question should be, why did God love Jacob? Because they both deserved the wrath of God. They both deserved the hatred of God, but both didn't get what they deserved. Jacob did not get what he deserved. Esau did. Jacob didn't get what he really wanted. Esau did got what he wanted, but he didn't get what he needed. God denied Jacob what Jacob wanted, but instead gave to Jacob what he needed. And out of that grace, then Jacob got not only what he needed, he got everything he came to realize that he truly wanted. This goes back to what Jesus says in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. What do we need? We need the kingdom and its righteousness. We don't need all these things. We need first the kingdom. And if we'll seek that, if we'll seek what we need, then everything else will come. 
So Paul goes on. As it is written, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, if it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say then, you see Paul is anticipating all of my questions. I don't know about your questions, but he's anticipating all of my questions. You will say then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Who are you to question God? Who are you to judge God? Who are you to put God on the witness stand and you put yourself in the judgment seat Who are you, O man? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor, to make one Jacob and to make one Esau, to give one what he wants and to deny one what he wants and give instead what he needs? What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for his glory. Before I leave Romans, let me take you back to Romans chapter 3 and remind you of what the prophet and what the writings have said what Paul quotes from the Psalms and from the writings, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, Jesus says, whoa, hold on. Why do you call me good? For there is none good but one, and that is God. So the question is not why did God hate Esau. The question is why on earth would God love Jacob? Well, let's quit picking on Jacob and Esau. Let me just personalize it for me. Why on earth would God love me? I, I don't have the answer to that question. But this is what I know. I don't know why God would love me, but here's what I know. I know I don't deserve God's love. I know I'm every bit as wicked, as rejecting, as despising of my birthright as Esau would be. I know that in my heart, there is rebellion and bitterness and sin, and it festers. But in spite of all of that, God did not give to me what I deserved. He put his love in my heart. And from that love, I was able and am able to love him. I am able 
to love you. Not because I'm a great person, but because God is a great God and a great Savior. We should never ask, God, why did you do that to Esau? Why didn't you come to Esau? Why didn't you reveal yourself to Esau the way you did to Jacob? You can ask that question. But the reality is this, God didn't. He came to Jacob in a way he didn't come to Esau. He revealed himself to Jacob in a way he didn't to Esau. He let Esau have exactly what he wanted. He denied the very thing Jacob wanted. Gave instead what he truly needed. Has God given to you what you truly need? Don't pray for what you want. Pray for what you need. And out of praying for what you need, out of seeking what you truly need, I promise you God will give you more than you could ever want. When your eyes become open the way Jacob's eyes were open, when your eyes become open the way Abraham's eyes were open, the way Isaac's eyes were open, doesn't mean they're perfect people. We can look at all three of these men, especially Isaac. You can see the failure of Isaac throughout his life. You can see the failures of Jacob. But here's the good news. Here's the grace of God. God didn't withhold his grace because they continue to fail. Jacob had an unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship with his sons. He kept preferring the one God said, don't prefer that one. This is the preferred one. Yeah, but you know, Jacob just likes to cook and stay in the tent man like a man's man Esau likes to go out and hunt he makes me good game you know I just like I just like Esau better that's that's Isaac's attitude he wanted to bless Esau and God says no I'm not gonna let you do it try as you might you will not bless the son you want to bless you will bless the son that I want to be blessed and that's what God did you see that God, God did that apart from Jacob. Jacob didn't even want to do it. He's like, well, my father finds out. He knows it's not really Isaac. Mom, I can't do this. Shut up, son. Do what I tell you to do. Why was, you see the beautiful picture there of Rebecca? As the Holy Spirit dressing up her son to come before the father? It was was God's grace that caused Rebekah to do that. It was God's grace that enabled that to happen, that enabled Jacob to get what he didn't really deserve. Do you see, church, that what we receive is not what we really deserve? If you are in faith today, if you are in Christ today, you have not received what you deserve. You have received what God has chosen to give you. He gave you a gift you never could earn. He gave you a gift you didn't even want. He even had to change your heart to want that. Because what you really wanted was not what he had for you. How do you know that, Pastor? I just read Romans chapter 3 to you. There is none who seek after God. And you can massage that any way you want to, but it is what it is. This is the condition. This is why we believe in total depravity. This is why we believe in original sin, that people aren't born 
fundamentally good and then they become bad. People are born fundamentally and totally and completely corrupted. And they remain that way until God causes them to be born again. That's exactly why Jesus said you must be born again. He didn't say you need to work harder, Nicodemus. He didn't say you need to pray harder, Nicodemus. Sacrifice some more animals, Nicodemus. Then come back and talk to me. No, Nicodemus, what you have to do is be born again if you want to have any hope of even seeing the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus is like, whoa, wait a minute. What? How, how do I do that? How do I go back into my mother's womb a second time? How does that happen, Jesus? You don't understand, Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's not a physical birth you need. It's a spiritual birth you need. You need to come from the old creation into a new creation. This is why Paul says the only thing that matters, circumcision doesn't matter. None of those things matter. He said the only thing that matters is a new creation. A new creation. So here's Jacob. God calls him Israel. He says, you're not Jacob, you're Israel. He gives Jacob what he truly needs. He didn't become Israel. He didn't become a new man. He didn't find the favor of God because he was perfect, because he was not. It's not that God has grace on us and then we get it all together and become fail-free people that always get it right. That's not the point of God's grace. God's grace doesn't eliminate your failures and your mistakes. That uncommon grace is the power to become Israel, a new man with a new identity and a new desire, a man still prone to failure, but recognizing that it is not the gift, but the giver. It's not the blessing, but the one who holds the blessing that we truly need. Jacob came to realize what he needed was God. God, I need you. He tells God this right before he meets Esau. God, all I know is that I need you. You've sustained me. You've carried me all this time. Now I'm getting ready to meet the man that that wants my life. God, I'm yours. I have no hope but you. I don't want anything but you. That's grace. And that abundance of uncommon grace is not permission to be like Esau seeking only the gift, but not the giver. That uncommon grace is the power to become Israel, this new man, seeking God, the life of God, the ways of God. Jacob in his failures and in his shortcomings came to realize that it was God above all else that he had to have. He humbled himself and he received what he needed, the abundance of God's uncommon grace that filled his life. This is what we need, church. So where is your heart? Where is your faith? Look at our nation today. Our nation is in crisis right now because people's heart and people's faith is not in God, but it's in man and man's approval and man's achievement and man's blessing and man's abundance. And we cannot see the fleeting nature of the glory of man. The people of God must be healed of their blindness. And that healing does not start in our eyes. That healing starts 
in our heart. We can't see, not because our eyes are blind. We can't see because our heart is hard. Because our heart is dark. What we need is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. We need the same God in, of creation who spoke light in the first creation, in the natural creation. We need that God to speak light into our heart so that there will be a light shining from our heart to reveal to us so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would heal our hearts and heal our eyes and ears to see and hear and know his glory. A glory that surpasses any glory of man. God will not be mocked. All is well for his glory. Do you realize that, church? God's not worried. God's not up in heaven. <sighs> Twiddling his thumbs, wondering if how this is all going to turn out. This is the God we like to present to people. Well, I wonder what God's going to do now. You know, now that man's now that the Supreme Court's done this, man, I wonder what God's going to do. Man, how's he going to counter that? As if God's having this chess mash, match with man. No, that is not what's happening. God is cool, calm, collected. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He is sovereign over everything. He's got it. The question is, do you know that? Do you trust in that? The question not, not, is not what, what is God going to do now. The question is, what's the church going to do now? What's Christ fellowship going to do? What are you, Christian, going to do in face of this reality of living in a world and living in a nation that has exalted the glory of man above everything else and has thrown dirt and ashes all over the glory of God and does not esteem that anymore. What are we going to do? Are we going to go with the flow? Say, well, you know, we don't want to upset anybody, you know, pastor. Really? Maybe we should be upsetting some people. They sure don't have a problem upsetting us. I know some of you probably were disturbed when Spencer prayed earlier that God destroy your enemies. But here's the reality. God's going to destroy his enemies. He's either going to do it in the cross, they're going to be crucified with him and no longer be our enemies, but become our brothers, our sisters, become part of the family of God. When that happens, he's destroyed his enemies and they're no longer enemies. They're now family. But those who persist like Esau, who continue to go after what they want, what they desire, man's glory, man's ways, and give no heed to the word of God, the glory of God. There is wrath and there is judgment stored up for them. That's just a fact. If you believe the Bible, you've got to believe that. But we are here as a beacon of light. We are here as pictures of God's grace. We're not, we're not here receiving the grace of God because we did something special that earned it. And we just need people to come on up where we are. No, that's not it. We're beacons of God's light. We're pictures of God's grace that says, if you too will humble yourself, if you too will cry out and call out upon the name of Jesus, if you too will lay down what you want and embrace and seek what you truly need, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you will call on him from a heart of faith 
if your desire will not just be for the blessing, but for the one who holds the blessing, not just the gift, but the, the giver of the gift. If you will seek God, if you will call out to that God, the only true and living God, the promise of the scripture is he will save you. He will. So are you Israel or are you Edom? I pray you are Israel. That you are of faith. That if you are in Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. That's what Paul writes in Galatians. Because you are, by grace, through faith, his child, brought into his presence and made one with him. Amen. Let's all stand. This is the message that the world needs. This is the hope that we must take to the world. We can't give them that hope if we don't open our mouths, if we don't walk and live boldly. Jacob and Esau, a picture of God's grace. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that throughout your word, you give us these, Lord, graphic portrayals of your grace. Lord, continuously, all throughout scripture, you show us what we truly deserve, yet you reveal to us what you give to us in your grace. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Heal us of our blindness. Heal us of our deafness. I pray, God, you would change our hearts. I pray that we would come to see what we truly need, not just the things that we truly want. I pray, God, that above all, we would come to know and to realize that what we need most and what we should want most is you. That our greatest desire would be for you, God. That the glory that we seek is not our own, but yours. And that we would trust that as you work all things out in your world and in your plan that includes all of us, it includes the good, the bad, the ugly, it includes the difficult, it includes the pleasant, that in all of this, God, You are working all things for your glory. And above all things, God, our joy and our embrace should be in your glory. And Lord, I believe in that we will not only find what we need, we will receive not only what we want, but Lord, you will do above and exceedingly beyond what we could ever think or imagine because you have already done that in Jesus Christ. You have given to us in Christ, Lord, more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever comprehend. Lord, what you've given to us in Jesus is eternal. It is without end. It is never ending. It is infinite, infinitely good and glorious and loving. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you had mercy and grace toward us. And you gave us the privilege to call upon the name of your son. And in that, 
grace and through that faith you gave us the right to become children of God. Lord, let your church bring you glory. Let it bring you glory in Taylor and throughout all the earth. Let Christ's fellowship bring you glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.